to Two Girls, One Podcast, the best podcast for financial advice and investing tips. Just let our crack team of analysts turn your 401k into a 401 yay. And now here are the stock market gurus Jim Cramer once made eye contact with on the L train. Alison Goldberg and Jennifer Jamula. Hello, everybody. I'm Jen. I'm Allie. Welcome to Two Girls, One Podcast. As you know, maybe, uh, Allie and I are performers. We had a show called Blogologues for a lot of years where we use the internet as a script. And from that, we developed a web series called Two Girls, One Show, where we met the people behind those internet posts that we've been performing for all those years. And we went on some scripted adventures. And last but not least, certainly not least, we came here to Two Girls, One Podcast. We've done this, uh, created this podcast with The Daily Dot and Mr. Matt Silverman, who you can hear giggling in the background. And the crappiest thing we've ever done. The cra- is most craptastic. <laughs> welcome. Um, welcome. And here we interview people behind internet communities and phenomena that we find fascinating. I heard a fork drop in the background, which means we're done with our lunches and we're ready. We're ready for you. I meant to drop the mic, but I dropped my fork. <laughs> Fucked it all up. Yeah. It's lunchtime over here on the West Coast, you know? Mm. Oh, yeah. Wait, I made my lunch. I didn't finish it. Now it's just taunting me. So you were eating eggs for lunch. That's revolutionary. <laughs> yeah well it wasn't quite noon when i started cooking it felt like eggs were my only option Got you know? it. it was brunchy anyway you know what's bullshit what? when you go into a place and you're like and it's like 1201 and you're like i'd like an egg sandwich please they're like we don't serve eggs after noon it's like what kind of rule is that what, what is that yeah that makes also no sense. you should serve eggs all day every day they're I the guess. cheapest thing you could possibly provide to your saying. customers just cook it up anyone could do it just let me in the back i'll cook my own eggs mm-hmm yeah, and they're delicious. Yeah. I don't like this self-righteousness around breakfast foods. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, folks, I just want to tell you right away what we're looking at today because I yes. want to hook you. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, There's a lot. There's a lot we got to discuss. <laughs> I have so many questions for this man. I mean, to be honest, I'm a, I'm a little confu- confuzzled, but I know he's going to clear <laughs> it up for us. So... We're All right, well, I was born in 1982. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Is it me? No, we're meeting. It's not a gentleman who's not Matt, but his name starts with an M. It's Mike Merrill, and Mike sold. You know how I feel about people that have the same first name, last name, letter. You're into it, like Jen Jamula. I'm into it. JJ's. Mm, mm. It's gonna be an MM. I'm I'm excited. (laughs) Yes, yeah. So Mike Merrill sold shares of himself. Um, on the open market, he divided himself into 100,000 shares and set an initial public offering price of $1 a share. Um, and it could earn a potential return on profits he made outside of his day job, which was as a customer service rep. So essentially, he had investors buying into him and they could uh, basically control his life. He would run things by them from, you know, uh, should he have a vasectomy to, uh, I don't know, what else, what were some of the other things, Allie? Should he be vegetarian? Polyphasic sleeping. Uh-huh. And they mm. voted yes, which means this asshole voluntarily chose not to sleep through the night. <laughs> uh, what, is that like uh, sleep three hours, wake three hours, three? Is that like yeah. uh, the Something Leonardo like that. da Vinci thing? I think it's a productivity okay. strategy. 
Yeah, and, but you're supposed to then sleep less overall. The oh, way, really? at least the way he did it. The way he did okay. it was like because he because he positioned this to his shareholders as I will be more productive potentially because I'll have like three more waking hours. Okay. Sounds fucking terrible. <laughs> Some people are so spoiled. They sleep just fine and then they fuck it up. I mean, he presented They some vote pretty... on his girlfriend. They vote on his girlfriends. They vote on his romantic life. He he presented some pretty bonkers things to investors, like to put your fate about having a vasectomy or not, like how to investors. <laughs> I could see if it was like, what should I eat for? Like our egg, can I eat eggs for lunch? That's one thing. <laughs> but like, no, but he, the idea is they're looking big. for a financial return and children are a financial... Drain. They, they, they hate yeah, to say it that yeah. way, but that's w- how what is the it. what is the yes, um, certainly true. What is the financial return though? That may that's the piece I'm missing here. What do investors get? What is what what is his output as a human? His salary, his actual like, wh- how is he giving money back well, to the, the investors? Thing is he did this like before he even. Well, we'll see where he's at now. But the idea is he has some ideas that he might start and some businesses he might start. It's almost oh. like startup capital before oh. the startup. Yeah. So they're investing in him, but they're, not in his, his financial future. They're investing in his financial future. It's kind of like those startups that are happening where there are startups that will pay some of your college tuition, mm-hmm. um, but in exchange for you paying them back later as an adult or getting a percentage or something, there's a, there are startups starting to do this. Totally. Facilitating um, that, yeah. Apparently, there were some video games he wanted to make. Um some sort of data service he wanted to to launch out there. And then I remember reading about a whiskey tasting society that he wanted to create. So hmm. I guess they were investing in his ability to make these into profitable ventures. Right. Yeah. So again, and we'll ask him, of course, but I guess my 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 big question here is like, are shareholders of Mike contractually legally entitled to X profits of anything he does that makes money, meaning starting a business, getting a job, like uh, that's that's what I'm, that's the starting point that I'd like to understand from yeah. the beginning. Good question. We got to ask, but I think so, because yeah. one shareholder wrote about how he thought this was a great way to diversify his portfolio. <laughs> oh, like they were expecting real return on the merits of a, a human. Like, this guy seems smart and capable, so I'm going to invest in his, uh, in his l- life yeah. and therefore mm-hmm. retur- get a return on that, as opposed to investing in an idea or a business or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I have some questions about the relationships that I hope he you do. Visit. We're interviewing him soon. <laughs> <laughs> we are here to do that. I just feel like there's an element of like, well, I just I put it out there to investors that, you know, I was thinking that the pros and cons of getting a vasectomy and they said I should get it. So it's not up to me. I'm getting one. And then you're like telling that to your long term partner, which is apparently what happened <laughs> with him. Um, They're was, no longer dating. Yeah. So I'm just... Um, <laughs> I'm curious, like, how much he sees it as them controlling his fate. I mean, he is the one kind of putting out all of these things to them that they should decide on. So anyway. I mean, um, on the one hand, it's amazing because you don't have to be burdened by decision making any longer. But, well, there's a lot of paperwork, apparently. So he has to be burdened by that half of the decision making. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it takes emotion out of it, right? Like, they were... They were like deciding who he was going to date. And it's like, well, you could say everything about this person on paper. That doesn't mean you should date. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Good point. There's that intangible thing. But anyway, yes. So he has a team of people deciding every single thing he does. It sounds a little bit like a relief. (laughs) 
and this is for life, right? I mean, I, I guess unless one day he decides to like buy all the shares back, but right, yeah, mm-hmm. all right. he owns most of himself, but his shares are non-voting. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so if he bought wow. them back, for life though. I mean, this is uh, is. I wonder if this is really legally binding because, like, on a market. Like you buy something, it's yours. But this is not a marketplace; it's a person. It's a market he created. It does it. Is it beholden to the laws of the SEC and such? I doubt it. Those are great questions. <laughs> All right, let's get them in here. Please I mean, there must them. be some kind of contract, right? I mean, they exchange right. money. No, from what I've read about this guy, I imagine there's there's contracts involved, but I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Let's. Well, we need to do trivia. I hate to tell you. <laughs> Speaking yeah, of do. contractually binding obligations, that actually is. That is true. Oh, Perfect yeah. segue. Today's episode is about buying shares in someone and, uh, you know, making an investment, getting a return on that investment. Hopefully, we will find out more in just a moment. Uh, today's trivia is uh, derived from a study from January 2019 which found, through uh, analyzing lots of data, economic data, that this collectible item yields a better investment return than buying gold or even your typical stock on a stock market. Which of these choices has a higher market return than your average investment? Okay. Is it Beanie Babies? It might be. It is definitely not Beanie Babies. (laughs) Remember when and people I didn't were even obsessed put that. with those collecting? With absolutely, those, I remember. Made no yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. I just feel vindicated. <laughs> I feel vindicated that uh, Beanie Babies did not pay off. Oh. <laughs> All right. Which of these has a higher market return than gold? Your choices are: A. First edition books. B. Disney Christmas ornaments. Or C. Lego sets. What? I'm going to go with first edition books because I'm just remembering in college they had this rare book library with first editions and they were kept like in a vault and if there was a fire they would drop underneath the earth like I think (laughs) these things were hyper valuable so yeah I'll go with that cool I'm going to diversify our portfolio and go with Legos (laughs) (laughs) excellent choice Jen goes with books LA goes with Legos. Which of these is more valuable than gold over time? We will find out the correct answer after this commercial break. And now a real advertisement entitled Free Almonds. Need to get rid of quickly. Durham, North Carolina. From the website where I get all of my secondhand nuts. Craigslist. I accidentally ordered. 50 pounds of almonds. I only needed five for my recipe. Please. My wife will kill me. Taking any is appreciated. Uh, why do we think his wife doesn't like almonds? They're delicious. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe she's allergic. Yeah, okay. Although, why is he making something with any almonds Mm. in them? Mm -hmm. Right, Mm -hmm. right. 50 pounds of almonds. I don't see a problem here. Yeah, you'd eventually (laughs) go through them. I don't see a problem. Like, they'll 
they'll survive anything. You just keep working your way through the almonds. I probably eat yeah. 50 pounds of almonds a year. Yeah, probably. <laughs> you can make almond milk. You could use the grounds as like fertilizer. There are those things. Mm. They're mm-hmm. fle- flexible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Trivia. What collectible item is more valuable over time, essentially as a commodity, than your average stock or gold uh, investment? Your choices were A, first edition books, B, Disney Christmas ornaments, C, Lego sets. Nobody went with Disney Christmas ornaments? Like those collectible, like Hallmark, like, hey, here's Goofy from 97. You don't think those increase in value? Nope, Matt. Nope. <laughs> no, I do not. Don't need to justify why. They just don't. <laughs> <laughs> they do not. Yeah, what are you trying to do? They're the beanie babies of Christmas, is what yeah, you're saying. That's right. <laughs> All right, uh, I will say that you are correct. That B is not is not correct. Oh. So someone has a correct answer. Oh my god. Jen, you went with A, first edition books. Ali, you went with C, Lego sets. One of you is correct, <sighs> and I will say the correct answer is Lego sets. Oh. <laughs> Nice diversifying the portfolio, Allie. (laughs) I also figured Matt loves Legos and the answer is probably weird and book seems to, um, it's like what you would think, right? That's true. That's sure. Uh, Just, just quick correction to the record. I I don't have an affinity for Legos. I'm not, I don't, they're, they're fine. I think they're great educational toy, but (laughs) but they're not personality type loves Legos. You would yeah, think, but so. uh, no. Nope. On behalf nope, of no, your brethren, you love yeah. Legos. <laughs> Matt, you said Legos are fine. You know what fine stands for? Yeah. Fucked up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. <laughs> you wow. sound a little defensive right now. That's all Ooh, I'm going to say. Wow. I've oh, never what? heard that. What? When people, when people what? are like, I'm fine, I'm fine. <laughs> Usually means they're feeling a little insecure and emotional. That's Got all. Got it. All right. I feel uh, I feel attacked. <laughs> Sorry. I really I wasn't I didn't mean to. Attack. I'm gonna let yeah. this one play out. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. I I love you know I love video games. Love Minecraft. Like the idea mm-hmm. of building an entire world out of blocks. Love it. Uh, I was addicted to Minecraft. <laughs> blocks. Love them. Legos. Ugh. Get out of here. <laughs> Get out of here with that plastic nonsense. Yeah. So according to uh, Russia's Higher School of Economics, it's a very uh, prominent uh, school, high, uh, university, I suppose, in Russia, uh, Lego did better than traditional investments like gold, stocks, and bonds, yielding an average return of about 11% from 1987 to 2015. So, I mean, I don't know if you own any, I mean, you don't, you guys don't have real jobs, so you probably you may not have a four hundred one k. Maybe I'm speaking out of turn. Um, I have a huge four hundred one k. I'm just kidding. Okay, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> mine is huge. Okay, <laughs> I think the the the, the 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 typical return on like a balanced like investment portfolio or four hundred one k. Again, I'm not an expert in this, but it's something like if you get five to seven percent year over year, you're doing great. Yeah. Lego sets, you buy like a Millennium Falcon, you sit on it for ten years, you're getting eleven percent increase over time because as long as the set is in the box and has all the pieces and people still care about it like apparently these get more and more valuable like real estate or whatever like this was actually very interesting to me that's yeah that's really surprising so i should bun i should buy a bunch of millennium falcon ships Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what's the plural millennium's falcon (laughs) (laughs) okay great thank you (laughs) Uh, all right it's time 
well, to meet our speaking guests. of buying and selling things <laughs> <laughs> in little pieces mm-hmm. please welcome the man who sold himself on the open market for a dollar a share mike merrill welcome mike Thank you so much. I think while that's all absolutely true, I do want to say I'm trading a little bit higher than a dollar a share already. <laughs> oh, really? What is it now? No, that's that's an, that's an initial public offering. Yeah, what is mm. it now? I'm up to five dollars. Nice. Wow. Ah. Although, what, what what was your peak? Uh, I hit twenty at one point, but it was very it's a very brief high demand moment. <laughs> what happened that you hit twenty? I got on the Today Show. <laughs> oh, cool. That'll do it. Well, after Two Girls One podcast, you're going to see a huge spike. Yeah, at uh, least $5.20. You're not. Yeah, exactly. You're not, not going to see a spike. <laughs> so, I'll, I'll make a like, pitch. Oh, like yeah. a small, I, I'm, a, I'm more than a dollar, like a small increase, $5. Like 5x return. That's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah it's pretty I'll great. Take that. Did a lot of your shareholders sell after the Today Show? I had a couple big shareholders that sold off um, pretty big chunks because I just there was such a massive influx of new people that came in. Mm. Uh, mm. And that was the tipping point when it went from mostly friends of mine that had invested to almost you know far majority strangers. Wow. Okay. Uh, what year was that? That was 2013. Okay. I don't know if it's too soon to go there now, but I'm very curious how your life changed when it was friends... Versus Rewind. We know you've talked you've talked about this a lot, but t- take us back to 2008. How did this get started? It's always easy to talk about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that true? <laughs> um, I started this not because I wanted to sell shares of myself, but because I wanted to buy and trade shares in other things. So there was a arts group in Switzerland back like early dot-com days that got into some legal trouble and to fundraise, uh, they sold shares in their art collective and I bought it and I kind of, I was frustrated because I couldn't, I couldn't sell it. Um, I was like, Oh, what's the point of had of buying a share if you can't sell it or trade and, and all those things. So a couple of years of stewing on this and finally I was like, I don't think anyone's going to do it right. I think I have to do it myself. And so it was a little bit of being the market that you want to see in the world. And so I, I yeah, I, I just started, I got a website together, um, pretty basic functionality and just said, Hey, I don't know where to start. I'm going to say that arbitrarily there are a hundred thousand shares. I'm selling them for a dollar a piece. Let's see what happens. What made you think you were worth a dollar a piece? Or really that you were worth $100,000. Well, so at the time I had a day job. And so I was kind of, I was trying to price my evenings and weekends for the rest of my life. And I was like 30 at the time. And I was like, I can definitely defend $100,000 for my nights and weekends. (laughs) Okay. Okay. And it gave it, it gave it room to go up, you know. I figured as as yeah. an hourly value in proportion to the salary you were making, is that exactly? I, I kind of thought not even necessarily in proportion to the salary, but just the the time that that I could potentially like kind of generate something worthy of a hundred thousand dollars. Okay. I figured at thirty to you know whenever I whenever I die is probably worth a hundred thousand dollars. Someone came and said. <laughs> Do you want a hundred thousand dollars for all of your nights and weekends for the rest of your life? I'd probably say no, which I think sort of equates yeah, now to being I, now a good I think value. this is kind of low. Yeah, I, right, you know, right. start low, right? Start uh, low. Yeah, I don't know. I guess, but I'm concerned about your self worth. You know, <laughs> it's five x now, so that's right. pretty good. 
Yeah, yeah. that's true. That's true. Wait, I'm sorry. I have a really layman's question because I'm really not a finance person at all. Why can't you sell your sh- or trade your shares in that art gallery? It's a private thing. I've always wondered about that. So two reasons. One, they didn't um, enable it in any way. And the reason they probably didn't enable it is it would probably be illegal. Um, so okay. securities law says that if you want to sell a security, you have to kind of you have to register the SEC and you have to file all these things. And there's a lot of hoops that you have to jump through, which is why you can only be publicly traded if you have enough money to pay to be publicly traded. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very much a rich person's game. So did you do all that paperwork? No, because I'm not a company. Right. So the SEC governs corporate trading and securities. And so technically I'm not a security Mm-hmm. I'm using the model of the stock market to create a decision-making engine. Right. And so the stock market isn't quote unquote real. And I like to think that if the SEC ever comes, I don't know if you remember those Roadrunner cartoons where the Wiley E. Coyote would hold up the little umbrella and then the giant uh-huh. rock would fall. My little umbrella yes. is maybe it's like an art project and then the giant <laughs> SEC boulder would fall and probably crush. So you're, but, you're yeah. more like Bitcoin. You know, I predate Bitcoin, which That's is what funny. I was thinking right, too. But then yeah. it's like, uh, we don't really know how it works, but it's like modeled after other financial systems. But you can sell cryptocurrency to others. And so I just, yeah, I want to well, clarify. I can sell Mike to others. Well, I don't know if you can. So to, to clarify for, for us and for listeners who are not finance savvy, you buy a share in this art gallery because you want to support them and maybe make a return. But then what? You are stuck with that forever. And if it go, if it devalues to zero, you're screwed. And if you make money, you make money. But there's no way out. And is your situation the same? So with the, with the art collective, it was, I, I believe there was a mechanism to sell to other quote unquote collectors. Um, okay. And if you think, I mean... The art market itself is highly speculative and could be argued that those are securities. Um, <laughs> sure. But especially, yeah, I don't know. Have you guys talked about the the banana, the $120,000 banana? No, we haven't brought that up on the podcast oh, okay. yet. Anyway, yeah, yeah that's amazing. Art, uh, art Basel, look it up, guys. <laughs> there's a beautiful banana that's sold for a lot of money. Well, I don't, no spoilers. Uh, uh, but anyway, so in, in my system, it's... I'm just like, well, the functionality is easy, right? It's just a simple web application that says, do you want to buy something? Do you want to sell something? And I'll move shares from this person to this person and money from their accounts, you know, back and forth. So the technical implementation of it is really easy. It's just that it's so highly regulated um, that we, I just said to do it is to make it unofficial, even though it's, it works. I mean, people have made money on it. My older brother sold enough shares to buy a dishwasher. So that's pretty exciting. <laughs> he, your, your brother sold you out for a dishwasher. Well, yeah. when I go to his house, I'm like, that's a pretty nice dishwasher. Yeah. That's true. That's true. What was your sort of like personal impetus for wanting this decision-making mechanism in your life? <laughs> I have... <laughs> it probably speaks to some inherent loneliness of growing up in Coldfoot, Alaska, but I haven't delved too deep into that. Fair um, enough. We won't do it here on Two Girls, One Podcast. <laughs> it was more just the idea, I, I like to take a framework and sort of, um, you know, 
uh, apply it somewhere else. So if, if you show me, if you tell me like, this is how biology works and I'm like, Oh, can I take the way that works and apply it to, you know, my to-do list or the way that I decide to clean my kitchen or, you know, like just mixing and matching these kind of different ways that things work. And so this was a way to take, uh, this kind of giant, huge thing of publicly traded companies and collective ownership. And like, how do you apply that to a single person? And some things work and some things don't really work, but the decision-making is super interesting because when you own a share in a company, you get to vote for what happens in theory, but not really. You get these like proxy statements and it's like, do you want to vote with management or not? And that's pretty much all you ever get to do. But I was like, I can kind of do the direct democracy version of corporate uh, accountability. And so I put up questions like, should I get a vasectomy? And my shareholders tell me yes or no, kind of based on the information that I put out there. That's okay. fucking crazy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you got the vasectomy, right? No, they voted not, They voted for me not to do it. So I didn't oh. get one. Oh. Yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a close vote. And that's when I had, I was before I was on the Today Show. So I didn't have as many shareholders. And it was like one person basically, you know, could have tipped that in, uh. in either direction. Well, before we get into these granular decisions, I, I really think we should set the stage for understanding like, okay, people are voting, but to what end? Like, what is your, how is your value measured in this scenario? And what are people getting out of your value? The main thing that you're purchasing is voting power. When you buy a share, that gives you uh, a, a single vote. And if you buy two shares, you have two votes. And so, you know, for those that have, I think my largest shareholder has like 600 shares, maybe more now. Who um, is that? Uh, Douglas <laughs> Dollars. He's a stranger. I've never met him. Uh, <laughs> communicated wow. with him online. No, he has 784 shares right now. The guy um, who has the most shares of you, you've, you've, you, have you met him? I've never met him. The number two shareholder is a really good friend of mine, but then numbers three, four, six, nine, ten are all people I haven't met. So it's like it's pretty scattered through those top shareholders. Okay. Yeah. So, so Douglas Dollars owns 6% of my decision making. And my, my rule is whenever I have a question I would normally ask friends advice for, that's a shareholder question. So mm-hmm. if you're ever out at a bar and you're asking your friend for advice, that's to me an indication of like, oh, no, wait, that's a shareholder question. So how often are you asking them to weigh in? It was a lot more frequent 10 years ago when I started the project. And yeah. I think partially just as my life has gotten a little bit more stable and partially as I've started to intuit a kind of sense of what I think the shareholders want, I end up having less of those questions. Wait, is it less or fewer? Fewer. Fewer. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I end up having fewer of those questions. Um, And and, and that's, it's kind of frustrating because obviously when people buy in, especially when they buy 784 shares like Douglas dollars, like they want to be able to vote on things. So I try to put up at least a vote a month. um, And then sometimes there's just not much going on. So it's hard. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry to keep harping on this question. I promise we'll move on here. But like, I'm trying to. When you vote as a shareholder of a company, you're you're trying to make decisions to uh, ensure, yeah, that the company is more profitable. So if I buy shares in you and I want to make money from those shares, I'm voting to do what? I'm trying to influence your decision to be what? In some way, to enrich 
kind of my life in a way that will reflect on a higher share price. What creates the share price? Yep. The, the, there's no dividend uh, right now or anything like that. So the only <laughs> way for you to make money is if the share price goes up and you can sell. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. I see. W- which isn't that dissimilar from most companies, actually, public right. companies that you invest in, right? You're just, right. You're, you, the idea there is that there's there's just so much more liquidity and there's so much more market movement. So everything's happening on a, on a micro scale here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and the, and the 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 value of a share goes up or down based on the trading that is happening, the the, the yep. people coming in and out. That's kind of to me. That's like the beautiful part is like I have nothing to say about that. Like right. all the only thing that I can do is sort of um, communicate out to the shareholders, and that share price kind of lets me know how I'm doing over time. Right, but it's a market based on nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On it's no like Bitcoin. We get value. it, Matt. Yeah, it's no, like, I'm just like I'm crypto. really. I, I'll, really go, tr- I'll go even further. It's like money. I mean, it's like, <laughs> yes. okay, that's, like, that's like it. all of it's all of it's just a collective fiction that we kind of agree on. Right? Yes. Right. I guess I'm I'm getting stuck on the business analogy where it's about profits and maybe dividends, but it's about if I buy a share in Google, I want Google to be more profitable so I get the, the money back. And in this case, it is more like currency or Bitcoin or even like buying gold of like, there's no intrinsic value of paper or gold. It's just if more people want it or less people want it, then that value is going up and down. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. The, the perceived value based on demand. Um, right, right now, you know, I, I, so I said that my share price is $5 a share. That was the last price that it traded at. But there are offers on either side of that. So um, right now, someone someone's like selling for five sixty. So if someone comes okay. in and wants to buy a share, my share price jumps up to $5.60. Okay. On the other hand, if one of my current shareholders wants to sell a share, I drop down to $4.37. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's a pretty big gap. Um, and I actually, I tend to track the the gap and it's, it's just recently uh, before this call, there was some massive trades that were going on, which was really uh, <laughs> oh. terrifying and exciting. Um, and so, and everything kind of stabilized at like $5 just here. And I was like, Oh, okay. I'm comfortable with that. That's good. But yeah, um, th- there was like, Two or three hundred shares changed hands, and that's really unusual. So it's a huge. Well, Allie, Ali and Jen, did you tweet? Things. Did you tweet about this that we had yeah. Mike on the show? Because yeah. gosh, when these ladies tweet, markets move. Let me tell you. <laughs> there you go. The, the, yeah. the power of yeah, insider trading. <laughs> Wait. So why why was why were things moving and shaking today? Uh, I I don't know. It was I guess it was over the last like two days. But there was I had a person come in and. They put a lot of money in their account, but they didn't buy shares. They just made a lot of really competitive offers. And then for some reason in the last two days, two different people just decided to really take advantage of that uh, mm. and sold a bunch of shares. Uh, so it looked like a big sell-off, but it was kind of this latent demand that had been sitting there for a while. Yeah. I feel like we still we got to take it back. So you set this <laughs> up. People buy shares. At the beginning, you still own 99.1% of yourself, but your shares are non-voting. Right. Then what the fuck happened? So then, well, I think like the first question I put up was like, hey, can we start this now? Are we ready? It was kind of this like early beta version. And people were like, yeah, okay, let's let's kick this off. So I started kind of, you know, and I think those, God, man, those early votes had, you know, maybe a dozen people in them. It started really small, but I still was holding myself to the same level of accountability. Um, and so I put up a couple of votes about kind of different 
projects. I've always been kind of doing stuff on the internet in various forms, um, you know, blogs and podcasts and online communities and, and what have you. So, um, random things in that world. And then at one point I moved in with a then girlfriend and one of my biggest shareholders. Uh, and at that time, a friend of mine, I mean, still is a friend, but, uh, they were all friends at that time said, Hey, we should have got to vote on that because that's going to have a big impact on your life. And I was like, yeah, that's a good point. It was the first time that it wasn't a question that I had, but it was something that the shareholders sort of said they should get to vote on. Mm -hmm. And it sort of shifted the focus from kind of the output that I was making to the kind of internals of my life. And so the next vote that I put up uh, was something that I was thinking about was the vasectomy vote. And I said, hey, here's something I've been talking to a lot of people about. I really could go either way on this. Um, I'm pretty sure, but it's also, you know, kind of a permanent big decision. So, you know, I'll, I'll abide by whatever it is the shareholders say, and I put it up for a vote. Okay. And your girlfriend was super pleased. Let's hear about that. Uh, <laughs> I was, she was not super pleased, <laughs> um, but we had been talking about it and it seemed like it could have gone in either direction, but I think there was also something about the, because even though it was my personal life, there's also an aspect of that that was her personal life. And so she felt a little bit sidelined. Um, and at the time I was like, well, just buy more shares, you know, that'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> which is not, I don't recommend that. If there's any, um, yeah. if there's anyone working in like investor relations for big companies, don't, don't say that when you mess up with your shareholders. Um, it didn't go over well. Okay. And, and then. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't get it. So I didn't, I didn't get to the set to me. Um, and then kind of things kept moving forward and it, it, as things moved, it became clear that people were more interested in, um, these kind of personal aspects and it took me a while. A lot of the votes were still kind of about projects. Eventually, uh, that, uh, relationship ended and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to be single for a while. And then that got boring. And I, uh, was looking to start dating again. And where the project really exploded was this idea that I was going to give full control of my romantic life to the shareholders. <laughs> I'm um, trying I'm to do that. Yeah, it's and it's actually it's actually a good idea if you think about all the times that like a friend was dating someone, and I feel like there's you have the shortest little window where you can kind of be like, no, don't date that person, and if you wait too long, then you don't get to say anything, and yeah. then you have to go to their <laughs> wedding, and you're just like watching this train wreck. And so I was just like, I want to avoid <laughs> that. I want them. I want people to have the ability to input. Wow, were your exes or your ex was she voting on your new dates? <laughs> Uh, I don't know if she voted. She was a shareholder, okay. so she was getting all the updates. Um, okay. Yeah, oh, God. So your ex was still a shareholder getting updates on your dates. If she chose. I don't know that she was actively participating at that point. She may have become kind uh -huh. of a passive shareholder. Um, okay. It's a okay. good question, though. I should find out. Does she still um, own a piece of you? Yeah, she does. I have two exes that both own shares. Uh, wow. one person that I dated before the project, one, the one I was dating then, and then the person that I was dating that I found kind of through this romance project, um, we can get there. I don't want, maybe no spoilers, but she is no longer a shareholder. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I, I want to hear that story. Okay. So, um, 
uh, first of all, I was like, do the shareholders even want romantic control? Is this, is this like too weird of a thing? Like they'd been voting on, um, like whether I should try polyphasic sleeping or what foods I should eat, what party I should, you know, register for politically. And then eventually there was this romance question. And I said, Hey, do you, do you want to control my romantic life? And obviously they said, yes. Uh, it was like 85% or something. Yes. They very much wanted to control it. And I was like, okay, before I put any time and energy into this, let's make sure they want it. Then I was like, okay, I can't just put up votes on like the main site because that feels creepy and weird to anyone that I go on a date with. So I created a, a separate website, only shareholders could log in. And I, everyone I went on a date with, I gave a alias and I just said, okay, I went on a date with, you know, random name. This is how it went. And they could basically give vote yes or no. That kind of gave me an approval rating for each person I was dating. So I was kind of trying to model it on like, um, almost like candidates, you know, and I was like, okay, let's kind of see where, you know, where do the, who, who has the people support? Uh, right. And then they could also ask questions. And yeah, so through that process, oh, and then I, I also made a rule that anyone who I went on at least a second date with, I would have to tell about the projects. I didn't want to be kind of logging this stuff in secret and then have them find out. I feel like that was, that would be a shitty thing to do, but that yeah. ended up not mattering. I didn't end up dating anyone who didn't already know about it because I was just in Portland and Portland is small and everyone knows everyone. So okay. it was easy. Uh, so I went on a date with this person who at the time was known as Agassiz Dakota. All there was usually like the names I invented were like a random state and some like name based on some attributes. So I knew she played tennis. So I was just like, okay, Agassiz Dakota is, is this person. And what I didn't think about, and I probably should have seen this coming is she bought shares. And so she was able to see everything that I wrote because then suddenly she had access to the shareholder only <laughs> section. Yeah, I love that she gamed the system. It was, it, I, I did too. I thought that was very clever and I was like, Oh, hats off. Well done. Um, <laughs> it made it definitely weirder, but eventually we sort of solidified our uh, romantic relationship and I put up a vote to, um, offer her a exclusive an exclusivity contract. Um, wow. Where, yeah. And so that was a whole process by which we reported back to the shareholders. And I think we did a three month contract and then extended it. And our entire relationship was sort of built around this framework of uh, me being a publicly traded person. And how long did you date for? Uh, yeah. It was like just about five years. Okay. And how did you terminate this? <laughs> that part gets a little sad. Um, <laughs> I will express it in a more upbeat tone than I generally feel about it, just for um, keeping, oh, no. keeping things Do it light. for the radio. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, uh, the last question that I put up to the shareholders about my romantic life was a, um, asking them to release me from control of their control of my romantic life. So I basically said, what I want to do is I want to take back my control of my romantic life because I want to propose to this person. And uh, the shareholders agreed with that. And there was a proposal and there was a yes. And then there was the end of the relationship before there was anything else. So that relationship oh. sort of ended right at, yeah. And there's a lot going on. We don't need to get into uh, all the details of that. But then she came back a couple of months later and she wanted to sell all her shares. She had 
had, um, I can't remember how many, I think she had like 200 something shares at the time. And so we, we sort of like, you know, ended things sort of the way it started. I put up a, a mutual non-disparagement agreement. And I said, if this vote passes, I will agree to sign it. And if you, the shareholders agree to buy her out at a slight premium of all her shares, she will agree to sign it. And it was pretty amazing. Like my shareholders were like, like absolutely. Yes. They bought all of her shares again at, at a price higher than the going rate. Um, so they worked against their own economic interests to sort of resolve that relationship for me. Um, in like less than a day, like all the shares just huh. got bought up, uh, which was great. kind of sweet in a really strange way. <laughs> in a strange collective way, <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. it was. It was amazing, and so yeah, so that that sort of ended it. And um, now my romantic control is under my own control still to this day. How long ago was that? Uh, that was like two years ago. Okay, yeah, it was right right when I moved from Portland to Los Angeles. Okay, oh, you're so in you LA. Would- Yes. Oh, hi. Hi. It's great. There's me too. <laughs> <laughs> so you would not recommend us making a romantic advisory committee for Allie. I think I need if, one. Here, here's the thing. I would what structure it practices? differently. Yes. Yeah. The second time around, I think I could do it better. <laughs> I think that's what every mad scientist says after Frankenstein's monster destroys yeah. the village. Yeah. Um, I think there's some ways to do it that would actually be really smart. Such as, <laughs> I have a I have a theory about dating, okay, uh, that I have not been able to put in practice. But the one of the many problems is the technology that we're using for uh, dating these days puts you in direct competition with every other person that's looking to go on dates with all of the people that you want to potentially match with. Okay, if you think about this as you are the product. Don't go onto a marketplace uh, where you have to compete with all the other products, but go like direct to consumer sales, right? Uh-huh. So instead of don't put yourself on Amazon, just go like start putting up ads on, you know, social media or Facebook or get on some cable channels and go direct to the consumer. And we've seen such wild success in business with that with these crazy brands like, you know, Away and the purple mattress company and all that kind of stuff. So I think that if you, and with the targeting that you can do now with advertising, you could target ads to people that you want to date and then they come to you. No competition. Yeah. That seems not creepy or weird at all. Totally foolproof. (laughs) (laughs) What could could go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? How do you even know who those people are to target them? Direct to consumer. I thought you meant go to a bar. You know what I no, mean? You don't, no, you don't need to know the people. You just know their yeah. attributes. Tell me what you like. As someone who's seen under the hood of Facebook's uh, targeting yes. platform, this will totally fucking work. It's just uh, the whole, you know, uh, eth- well, two problems. Ethics. One, you know, ethical things, and et cetera, because it's a, it's a really um, abusive platform, uh, and we won't get into that here. But two is like, uh, will someone... Will the recipient of the ad actually take you up on an offer? Because as a culture, we're like, yep, I'm, I'm ready to date. I'm going on Tinder. No one sees a Facebook ad and says, yeah, let me get, let me get in touch with this guy or gal. But maybe they would. As, as Seth Godin says, that's a real purple cow. Mm-hmm. You got to invent it first. Exactly. You got you to. Gotta, I, I think this would work. I don't know that it would be long term successful, but I think. I think uh... Are you going to do it? 
No, I'm I'm already dating someone. How'd you meet? Uh, through friends. The the cheaters away. <laughs> no, that Boring. sounds direct to consumer to me. That's like that's like a stock tip, you know, like like someone says like, hey, look over here. Yeah, uh, I got to, I got some hot info for you. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was somebody that I knew uh, for a couple years. We'd been friends, and then when I and she lived in LA, obviously, and uh, so when I moved here, and then my relationship ended, and then yeah, things just kind of naturally progressed. It was very nice. Okay. Okay. So what are some other things that your shareholders have voted on? The most recent vote is kind of interesting. Um, I read that Michael Pollan book about um, psychedelics and I was like, huh, I wonder if I should do psychedelics. And so I put that up for a vote. Definitely yes. And the answer was definitely yes. Yeah. Um, (laughs) There was a pretty, it was funny because like usually there's a pretty heated exchange and it took a while for this one to get going. But uh, yeah, it was 82% yes. And um, a lot of people just being like, yeah, why wouldn't you? Um, And the no's were like, obviously people that had, that were sort of scared of the idea of drugs. Um, so I haven't yet done that. I mean, I've, I've done mushrooms in the past, but I haven't done any shareholder sanctioned drugs, uh, yet. Uh, the vote passed somewhat recently. Um, and I, when did the vote pass? And when is Uh, your, when when are you going to do this? It was like early, I think it passed the end of October. And then it was just, I don't know. I got into the holidays and I, didn't want to do drugs around my parents because that doesn't Okay, holidays <laughs> are a perfect time to do psychedelics. Really? Man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel well, like I, I would argue against that, but I'm not gonna explain further. I'm gonna leave it there. <laughs> All those lights around, it's a great idea. That's true. Yeah. And I mean there's a lot of self medicating with alcohol already in the holidays. Yes, so I... And work slows down. It's a great time. It's the most wonderful time of the year for psychedelics. <laughs> That's their new ad campaign. Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, in fact, if you want to do psychedelics together this winter season, <laughs> yeah, that's true. We're neighbors. Yeah. We might as well. Okay. So, okay, what else? So, psychedelics. What else have they voted on recently? So, I actually one of the problems when I uh, that I didn't foresee when I created the system is I made all the votes basically a yes or no vote with the idea that I'd be putting up proposals and then my shareholders would kind of tell me, you know vote yay or nay um the problem was i can't ask multiple choice questions and so i have been kind of playing with this idea of how to incorporate multiple choice and so one of the questions i asked was what is my official position on cryptocurrency uh because i was like i like it it's interesting but it also seems kind of ridiculous and like it doesn't actually serve any purpose in the, in the world. Um, said the like guy who sold shares. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so okay. I call up, the kettle black or whatever. <laughs> I put up, I'm just going to, I'm just going to move right past that. Uh, mm-hmm. right <laughs> and uh, I put up for vote my official position on cryptocurrency. And um, uh, we built a little system to allow multiple choice votes. So it's basically goes from like, I love crypto the most to like, oh, no one should do this. It's probably a scam. And I let them all vote and they kind of did a very middle one. So I can tell you that based on shareholder control, my official position on cryptocurrency is I'm fascinated by the promise of crypto, but I have a wait and see approach regarding the implementation because involvement requires a high technical understandings and there's not very many safeguards. So I would not advise anyone to invest more than a small amount. Um, and sort of dabble in it. That seems advisable. 
far more restrained because I have a lot of pretty big crypto advocates uh, as shareholders. Um, and so I was surprised that it came in that sort of moderate, mm -hmm. which was fun. Uh, and the idea that I can now ask these multiple choice questions is interesting because, again, the system was designed for these kind of big, broad things. And I'm, I'm curious if I can kind of, can they take sort of more fine-tuned control of my life? I don't even know if I want them to, to be honest, yeah. but it's, it's an interesting version of the experiment. I have something I forgot to ask around the dating committee. Sure. So I may be reading this wrong. But did your romantic advisory committee set you up on a date with a dude? Uh, no, they didn't set me up on a date. I went to a wedding and ended up having a uh, an evening uh, with a dude. And, and then I had to kind of report back about that. Um, so that was... Oh, you had to disclose <laughs> your experimentation. Yeah, and I, I did that in a um, very clever way. If you're uh, by playing the pronoun game, which was seen through very quickly by my shareholders. Um, yeah, uh, but there was no real chance that actually happened in LA. Um, I came down for a wedding, and then went back to Portland. So there was no opportunity to sort of continue that. So I think he ended up with a pretty fair approval rating, though. When in LA, everyone's gay. Um, okay. <laughs> You also mentioned political party earlier. You mentioned political party. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. What happened with so that one? It got dark, as you might imagine. It was, uh, I was commenting to someone I know uh, who works in politics as a shareholder. And I was like, it's so strange that one of the biggest, um, like, uh, things that people get mad about each other, like even more than religion, I feel like is political party in the United States. And they pointed out like, oh, you should put that up for vote, which political party you belong to. And I was like, you know, I was like, I think I was in the middle of saying that stupid when I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Um, and so I put that up for a vote. Basically, should I, because at the time, I think I was, I think I was a registered Democrat. And I put, I said, should I register as Republican? Fully expected that to go no. But a bunch of shareholders came in and made really strong cases that the publicly traded person <laughs> is probably a someone who is a Republican. Um, and, and yeah, and it ended up getting, and, and some people were like, this means you're only going to vote Republican. It's like, Hey, it's not how I'm going to vote. It's just my political party. And so but they, do yeah, they ahead. have a say in how you vote? So they haven't yet. I don't have a problem with that. That was when, um, who was running? It was during Obama's first run when he won but i think on the republican side there was this guy john huntsman who like no one has heard of but he was a uh, like uh he was like a mormon political person or whatever and I, he was like the most liberal republican basically and i was just like full on board like i bought a mug i was like this is this is the guy we have to get behind of course he didn't win and then uh, I was really stuck. And so I had to, I think I put out a video that was like my reasons as a registered Republican to support Obama. Um, and I found some historical precedent about Republicans saying things like, you know, I'm country first and party second and, and that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. um, then, you know, fast forward and Trump is running, which at first we all thought was a joke. Mm hmm. And I was like hiring comedians to run my Twitter during the debates and it was really fun. And then it got more and more serious. And then at a certain point I had to be like, 
hey, shareholders, the fun part of being a registered Republican is a little too dark. Can I not be one? And they said, yes, that part's over. You don't have to be a Republican anymore. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. So that was, that was nice of them because, it, yeah, like I said, it, it definitely got gross. Yeah. Well, I just signed. I just created an account and I tried to buy oh, nice. a share. But it <laughs> says there are no open buy or sell offers. Like oh, I can't really? buy right now. Uh, no, you should be able to for five sixty. You should be able to buy a share. Uh, Do you have money? Did you deposit money in your account? <laughs> oh, you have to Allie deposit overdrew. money first, and then you buy yeah. it through that. I don't just pay uh, on uh, a yeah, credit card. Exactly. That was uh, that, that was another mistake I made. I was modeling it after like a TD Ameritrade account, you know, where you have to put money in first. And I should have just done straight buy and sell. Um, so that's, that's not your fault. You're not the only person to be confused by that. Okay. Thank you. All right. Well, I won't waste airtime with that, but I'm definitely buying a share of you later. Awesome. <laughs> and last but not least, what is your exit strategy? Oh man. Uh, the best one was I, one of my jobs, I had a, a as a perk, a life insurance policy. And so I signed over my life insurance policy to my shareholders. Uh, and so I thought if I die, they all get paid out. Um, and that was pretty exciting and took a lot of like, Oh, how do we work this? And all that kind of thing. I don't have that job anymore. I don't have, I'm not, I don't have any life insurance. So there's no reason for a shareholder to kill me anymore. It's probably <laughs> for the best. The thing that I'm interested in now is how does this thing continue after I die? Like, is there a version where, uh, having a share is like a collectible thing. Cause there's only so many, you know, like, like when an artist dies, all their paintings go up in value. So I want when my, when I die, I want my share price to go up. Okay. That's what I would like to engineer. That got really dark and weird. I just meant like, are you going to do this for the rest of your life? Like, how do you, if you want to peace out, how do you do that? But, but, but in all truth, you, you buy your shares back. No, your life is not directly related to the value of the, of the currency. So it doesn't matter if you live or die, as long as I have my mic coin. That's uh, true. And as long paper. as there's interesting things happening that, yeah, maybe right. it slowly declines in value. Who knows? I, I do think it has to end in the spirit that it was started. So it has to be, there has to be some kind of economic parallel. Um, so whether that's a, you know, does the, what's the personal equivalent of a hedge fund buying somebody out or, you know, is it like a leveraged buyout kind of situation like that, where it's like, I take on a lot of debt in order to take myself private to restructure, you know, or something. Um, is it bankruptcy? I don't know all the ways in which a public company can die, you know? And, and I feel like, all the examples that we can think of that are generally negative, like Enron or something. So uh, I'm not looking to go that direction, but maybe it's acquisition or, or you know, maybe it's uh, Michael Dell buying his company back, um, you know, and taking it private or something like that. Or maybe I die. Who knows? Thank you for joining us, you lovable freak. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, that was great. It was really fun to talk to you guys. Well, I know we always say we're going to try stuff and we don't, but I am going to buy a share of him. I just got to take off my headphones and go get my credit card. Wow. Okay. So what is your impetus? I just think it'll be interesting to like get the updates and stuff. It's going to cost yeah. me like $5 and 60 cents and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Okay. All right. You get to have some decision-making we- power in this man's life. <laughs> I'm probably going to be more of a lurker as I am all the time. Yeah. Yeah. A weekly value update. Like, okay, next week when we record, you'll say, oh, I'm up to $5.70. Like we need to know. Right. Right. Any of the ambiguity taken out of decision making, <laughs> I would be so thankful if you two would become my committee and just tell me what to do for major life decisions. Can we do that? Don't break up with Adam. There you go. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's not even on the table. <laughs> don't I don't worry. know. I know we're, we're joking here, but 
or maybe waxing poetic about like, oh, wouldn't it be great to not make decisions? But I don't know. Like, only oh. you know what's right for yourself, tr- truly, at the end of the day. I mean, you yeah. ask for advice, but I right. don't know. I couldn't But do sometimes that. I think other people might know better. You know what I mean? Because we're too clouded by our own emotions and sometimes no, it could fair. be useful. It's the difference between advice. Like, get advice, get a gut check, talk to people. Like, 100%, that's what it's all about. But being locked into a decision made by a stranger is a is a line a bit too far for me personally, mm-hmm. but I understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but it's I was surprised actually that he really connects to the storytelling aspect of it so much. You know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you were so hung up, Matt. I'm like, what do they get out of it? It's like, <laughs> well, because uh, you know, when I I told I, told, I said this in the interview to Mike, it's like the the experiment, the value of the shares is in no way connected to the shareholders making decisions about his life. Those are disconnected pieces, and I, I felt. Uh, you know, I don't want to crap on the experiment. I think it's amazing, but I was disappointed to hear that those two factors are not interconnected because we went into the interview thinking, oh, like his value as a person determines the shares. And that's actually not the case. Still very fascinating. And I love that it's essentially Bitcoin. And I th- I find cryptocurrency super fascinating, fascinating, but uh, different than what we perceived. So I'm glad we got the, the full story. Yeah. I'm <laughs> yeah. excited to become a part of it. <laughs> I mean, look, we'll, we'll see if you actually stand up and get your credit card. Like, yeah. we'll confirm that next week. <laughs> <laughs> I just am tethered right now, but I thought I was going to auto-populate and I just buy it immediately, but no, I can't. Don't you hate so. that? Don't you hate that when it doesn't populate? Yeah, when it's extra secure. <laughs> so all of you out there, what? how do you feel about other people making decisions for you? Are you relieved at that thought or are you somewhat of a control freak like a lot of us and want to be making them for yourselves <laughs> let us know uh as always you can tweet at us i'm at june bugger j-o-o-n-b-u-g-g-e-r i'm at ali gold a-l-l-i-g-o-l-d you can email us at 2g1podcast at gmail.com and please call us we'd love to get your voicemails that phone number is 347-871-6548 that number again 347-871-6 last but not least please join our discord server discord Discord.gg slash 2G1P, where guests of the show, uh, listeners of the show, and us are all in conversation. Oh, wait. And don't forget, you can text that phone number oh. if you're not keen on... Le- we, we want the voicemails. We would love to hear your voice. And it obviously plays better on the show. But if you prefer to text, shoot us a note by text, 347-871-6548. Uh, don't just say, hey, is this on? Tell us something. You don't have to say who you are. Uh, give us something to share on the show. We'd love to hear from you. And if they'd like to contribute, Ali, how do they do it? You can go to patreon.com slash 2G1P and you can pay uh, less than you would for a share of Mike Merrill and we will give you actual perks in exchange. No offense, Mike. (laughs) All right, friends and potential future investors. uh, We shall see you next week. Bye. Thank you. Two Girls, One Podcast is hosted by Jennifer Jamula and Allison Goldberg been registered with the SEC as a private equity firm. I mean, produced and edited by Matt Silverman in New York City. Production assistance is provided by the Pod Conglomerate. This show is a production of The Daily Dot, the number one source for in-depth reporting about life on the internet. The Pod Glomerate. A Sonic Universe. I only needed five.